Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snudden. Uh, this week, the book we're reviewing this week, we've been talking about for a year now. Yeah. And so we had Seth Harwood on, I think it was last February. Yeah, when was, he was, was putting out a year ago, yeah. Yeah, he was putting out um, like a chapter at a time on his Patreon. And uh, we talked a little bit about it. So over the next two episodes, if any of this sounds familiar, it's not deja vu. You may have already heard it. But we're reviewing the Maltese Jordans, a book that we started talking about a year ago. Yeah, and I was thinking, tell you what, I was thinking when I was reading. Um, I, so I, uh, yeah, so I'm going back in time. We interviewed Harwood on January 22nd of 2018. So it's just over a year ago. And in that time, he's released... I don't know, all of the book, most of the book, a good chunk of the book. So what I'm getting at is I, I'm, I contribute to his Patreon. And so I have access to the feed where he releases chapters of his books, including Maltese Jordans. And I'm reading through the beginning of the book thinking, man, I could be skipping this if I just listened, you know, as they were coming out. But Lazy Rob didn't do that. Yeah, but now, now Rob's... I'm going to get like a weird thing like, hey, there's this book I was thinking we should review. And I'm going to find out you've just been listening to it for eight months on a Patreon page. And that's uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> you're making me read it. But you're like doing it all from from memory, <laughs> listening like, you know, while you're out jogging or whatever you do on your free time. Well, I, I definitely don't jog. If you jog, though, you know what you would need? Uh, serialized book to listen to. And a good pair of sneakers. And, get, oh. and we're going to talk a lot about sneakers, I feel, over this week and next week. So let me tell you what I mean. Tonight, we're going to review the Maltese Jordans. Next week, we're going to have Seth Harwood on for his 2019 appearance on this podcast. Because uh, <laughs> I think we should at least make it an annual thing, if not more often. And yeah, if we're going to talk about, we're probably going to talk about not just this book. We're probably going to rehash and talk more about Sneds. Yeah, Sneds. Sneds. We'll probably talk a little bit more about what that is. We might. Um, I'm going to kick it off with a bio for Seth Harwood. Mm -hmm. For anybody who hasn't been listening to all of our episodes, uh, Seth Harwood is the author of five novels and two collections of short stories. After stints in the commodities trading industry, rare book cataloging, and bartending, he attended the Iowa Writers Workshop. He now That's where he got his MFA, I believe, and he didn't say that for some reason. He now lives in central Massachusetts and teaches creative writing online for Harvard and Stanford. Find out more about Seth Harwood and the Jack Palms novels on his official website, sethharwood.com. I cut it off, but he also gives a, a, a list, a link to his Patreon. And I think that's kind of his writing lifeblood light night right now. So you should check out Patreon and look Seth up over there too. More information about that next week. I'm sure. Yeah. Here is the synopsis. What if Michael Jordan played one secret pickup game in summer 1996 to pay off a debt so big it would get him banned from the NBA for life? What if that game was on a private court in Malta and Jordan's parting gift was a jewel-encrusted pair of Jordan 11s for the king? A pair of shoes so special and rare that they could be worth millions if they exist. Follow Jack Palms on a hunt from San Francisco to Hawaii and back across the country as he tracks the man who knows the truth about these shoes. A felon who just skipped Bond to chase his dream and the mythical pair of sneakers that can only go by one name. In the vein of Elmore Leonard and Carl Hyacin with touches of Bill Simmons and Rick Riley, Seth Harwood presents his next novel, The Maltese Jordans. Rob, yes. out of those four people at the end, how many of those have you read books from? Not Seth Harwood, the other four. Damn it, I was going to say Seth Harwood. <laughs> uh, nobody. I read oh, one Elmore Leonard. Leonard book, yeah. We read that Well, Raylan I guess I read book. two, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I read one of his books. It might have been Get Shorty. Like, back when it came out as a movie, I read the book oh, that yeah. the movie was based on. Yeah, yeah we uh, so, suck. I guess what I was going to say is we're not going to be able to speak to the Elmore Leonard, Carl Hyacin, Bill Simmons, and Rick Riley. Right. Um, part, but we're going to talk a lot about the Seth Harwood part of this book. Yeah, and I think it bears noting that um, this is a Jack Palms novel, so it is it's a it's one in a series of books, but not like a continuous series. It's just like that's like this like the type of series where like just books come out and it's this is the main character, right? Yeah, like uh, independent stories about the same character. 
Yeah, um, you it said feels that way like, better than I did. <laughs> it feels like there's things there, like characters that are mentioned that you know have a history with Jack, probably from the novels, but it did in any way, I don't feel, impede my my reading of it, which happens sometimes, where you're like, oh, I feel like I'm missing something. Right. So um, it's our first Jack Palms outing. It's our first Seth Harwood outing. Yeah, our first full-fledged, because really, really, um, this is it's kind of weird, because Seth came into our life through that reading, in 2012, where he read from, uh, I think he read from Young Junius. Um, and we recorded that and put that on the podcast. And then he joined us for the booked anthology um, in 2013, right? God, that's so long ago. Um, it's forever ago. And he's been on, you know, we interviewed him last year and stuff like that. So we, we I think we've been more like off podcast, relate, like hanging out with Seth than on podcast. So that's this is this is a new turn for us. It is, and one that I'm uh, I'm glad we finally took. Yeah, for sure. Dude's got some writing chops. He does, and we're going to talk about him right now. (laughs) (laughs) Very aggressive. We're going to do it right now. Weird, like clickbait, like anticipation shit. Right. You won't believe what we thought of this book. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So yeah, the story kicks off with Jack, um, who to 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 kind of set this up. Um, from what I gather from reading this book, Jack was an action movie star um, mm-hmm. some years ago uh, that went south and he fell on some hard times. And now he is taking on um, essentially bounty hunter jobs, like not like Boba Fett bounty hunter, but like dog the bounty hunter. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> He's not from space at all. But yeah, so nope. um, he it's he has loose affiliations with um, a dude named Joe Leonardi. Um, who does, he's like a bail bondsman, but like, it, it feels like there's more to that character. Like it goes deeper than just being like a straight bail bondsman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joe has put up the bond or whatever. I don't know what the language is, um, for, uh, a character ma- named Meyer Modi, who, mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, who's in trouble for embezzling basically, who, uh, jumped bail and, um, Joe's hiring Jack to bring bring Meyer back to go to court. Yeah, and it's not, it's going to sound like I'm getting re- really detailed here, but this is um, you know kind of the 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 whole crux of the story. The the first thing Jack does is he f- goes to Meyer's home, breaks in to do some investigating, and finds a room um, with a very expansive collection of sneakers. So we discussed this with Seth Harwood a year ago, but I'm going to go ahead and talk about it now. There is a subset of people out there who spend a lot of time and money collecting gym shoes. And I say oh, gym shoes because <laughs> that's what we call them in the Midwest. Didn't you get shit for saying that when we were talking to Seth last year? I believe so. But in case there are people in the Midwest listening, I want them to understand what <laughs> I'm see. talking about. So um, sneakers. You're playing and when the I home say, team here. I see. Yeah. When I say sneakers, um, what I mean are um, shoes, by and large, um, styled specifically for athletes. And my belief is that mostly basketball players get this this uh, yeah. treatment. I mean, I'm sure it seems like any time I've ever heard somebody who is really into sneakers, it was Jordans. And, and then back in the day, you know, when I was a, a, a youngin, um, you know, you'd like Charles Barkley. I actually owned, I don't remember. I don't think I talked about this when we were on with Seth. I owned a pair of Patrick Ewing sneakers, apparently <laughs> they were fucking hideous. I'm going to try to find a picture of these. Cause I don't know like what model they were or whatever, but for a little while I was a pretty avid basketball fan. And this would have been in the very early nineties, early to mid nineties, I guess. And uh, Patrick Ewing was one of my favorite players, and I happened to be in a sneaker store. Okay, I have it written on a post-it note to keep saying sneakers. In a sneaker store <laughs> and saw a pair of Patrick Ewings, and I had to have them. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, for the uninitiated, um, typically what happens is there's releases and there's special releases, and you go and you wait out at midnight like you would for concert tickets or beer, apparently another weird thing. (laughs) And then like these, (laughs) they sell out, they sell out in like minutes. And then the secondary market is huge for people to trade these and to purchase them. And you can purchase sneakers from, you know, 200 bucks to 
10, 12, $14,000. And as we're going to talk about in the case of Meyer Modi, perhaps in the millions. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, before we dive into that, I want to do a little bit of an aside because one of the most standout moments for, for me, for when, uh, Jack goes to, uh, Modi's house and discovers the shoes is the, is the little part of the story where, um, Jack notices the, the, um, the router. Did that, did that register much for you? Yeah. That it's a, it's an apple. Oh, like the authenticity to what he said. I was like, this all checks out. So like, uh, and, and it kind of made me nervous a little bit because, so basically, uh, he's looking through the window. He notices like the router, um, that uh, Modi's using is uh, an Apple time capsule, which is a combination of a router and a hard drive that you can back your, your machine up to. And he's mm-hmm. like, and he recognizes it and he knows that's what it is. And he's like, Oh, I can just plug that into another computer and look through his files. And I was like, Oh yeah, I never really thought about that, but like <laughs> I could break into someone's house and essentially dig through their backup unless it was like, you know, encrypted or whatever. Um, and I was like, Holy shit. That's like, it's it's clever and it's shockingly accurate and I was very I was very proud of of him for writing that. Yeah, I um I feel like and this is not a criticism, but after talking to him about sneakers, I feel like he injected a little bit of himself into this book. So I <laughs> I will bet you and we can remember to ask him, but I can nearly guarantee you that he has an the Apple time, time yeah. capsule. Yeah, he does. Yeah, it, it sure just does. it was yeah, it it, it felt there are a few times in the book where I was like, oh, yeah, this is totally going on in dude's life. The funny thing is, like, there was a couple of moments that I read what he described uh, in a situation um, very much mirrored, like, uh, like discussions he was having through social media and stuff about, like, his computer and things like that that I remember, uh, you know, just from regular life. And I'm like, oh, he adapted that into the book. That's interesting. So, yeah, I agree with you. Like, some of this is coming from just a place of, of experience. Mm-hmm. Well, and I want to give him credit because one of the things I, I tend to um, dislike in books and, and even call it on this podcast sometimes is that that thing where we ignore the obvious technology we just would have used that would have solved yeah. the problem that the author created. I don't think he did that here at all. You know what I mean? Right. Like it, it felt like good everyday stuff. That mm-hmm. like you know, like you said, like you're familiar with. I, I don't know. All I can tell you is Apple Time Capsule has been in the news a lot um, because of the Mueller investigation. Of all things, oh. there's a guy. There's a guy who's been charged, and every time he's in an interview, he's like, "I gave them my time capsule. They could see every single thing I did for like three <laughs> years." And and like every interview, he talks about this time capsule. You know That's what I funny. mean? So <laughs> even more genuine because it's you know currently uh, you know in a in a you know fairly big news story. Oh. Well, I missed that. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but the shoes, yeah, the shoes are a big thing. And I want to, uh, jumping back while, while you were kind of explaining the rudimentary uh, details of the weird shoe market, um, the Yeezys, uh, I was thinking about the Yeezys mm-hmm. and those are apparently made by Adidas. So Jordans are Nike. Correct. Uh, and uh, the Yeezys, which is like Kanye designed, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Those are Adidas. So, which are weird because I don't think basketball players wear Adidas. I, I feel mean, like they Yeezys all wear. Don't really look Reeboks, like Nikes. Have you seen the Yeezys? Like, if Google them, because it looks like someone took, uh, like a like a house slipper. Oh God! And you know what I'm saying? Made yeah. it into a sneaker. Looking now, although those I don't know the treads on the bottom look like they could be pretty, pretty rugged. Yeah, they all look very low profile. That's yeah. why I said these are definitely not basketball shoes. These are like running shoes. Yeah, or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, anyway, so. so that this is our way of demonstrating the level of knowledge we have about the sneaker uh, world. Um, even the way I say Yeezy is like <laughs> it's not super, casual. Like super I say it all uncomfortable. Time. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so he uh, in using the time capsule and and, um, a combination, I think, of that and Modi's computer, he decides that Modi likely went to Hawaii 
Um, so Jack Palms um, hops a plane, bills it all to his uh, his boss, his benefactor in this, and uh, and takes off to Hawaii where he hopes to um, encounter Meyer Modi. Yeah, and um, so it's at this point I just say like this is a pretty straightforward detective story. So it's really, um, I think it's for it's first person the whole whole way through, right? So it's like he's telling you. And then I did this and then I did that, like that type of um, narrative. And so we're just kind of following along with him as he gets to Hawaii and settles in and um, tries to start looking for leads. And the thing that I noticed about like this book, because I don't know the other Jack Palms book, I think it's similar, is um, he does the mundane detective work. Like he doesn't do flashy stuff and he doesn't know someone everywhere and he's not a hacker or anything like that. He just kind of like looks around hoping someone knows something mm-hmm. which yep. i really appreciated yeah i um you know i think you're right about the detective story being fairly standard um but there are some really good things here and i don't, I guess we should probably get more into the story before we start talking about like structure but there are some things in this that i think he does differently which are really interesting and one of them is the fact that our detective is frequently recognized. Yeah, low profile is a challenge. Yeah, he like tries to like keep his head down and 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 like do his thing, but it's like you know every you know third person that he interacts with is like, hey, Jack Palms, hey dude, I loved you in whatever that movie was. You know what I mean? That kind of thing, which is uh, it brings an extra level to the character that um, for me at least is previously like unseen in a detective novel. The detective always can lie about who he is, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yeah. play a role and, and palms is not in that territory. Yep. Yeah. Which adds an interesting facet to it. Um, because like, since he's, he's a, a former actor, he, he has that kind of not shame, but like self-awareness that he, you know, He's not at his, you know, his height, the height of his life or whatever. Um, and he has to just kind of deal with living through that in the moment when he when people confront him about it and stuff. So um, kind of an interesting facet. But he gets into Hawaii and settles in. And um, in the course of his, his cursory investigation at the beginning, runs into Gina, who becomes actually a pretty big character in the book. Yeah, she's kind of the love interest for for lack of a better term and some kind of like somewhat sidekick yeah um to to Jack's character so he meets Gina and through collecting some information uh lo and behold he he catches on he he catches up to Modi at least the first time pretty quickly which is not something that I expected from this type of book right i thought Modi yeah. would be um you know some elaborate hard to find person all the way to the end so on the island, um, through a little bit of uh, of uh, uh, rough housing with with a source, he, he manages to to find Modi, and Modi gets away. But eventually, and and just to tighten up the story, um, he catches up with Modi, and this story is revealed to him about the Maltese Jordans. And I'm not going to go past what it says in the actual synopsis, but essentially, Modi claims to have the Maltese Jordans. Um, that the the shoes that were made specifically for Michael Jordan by Nike to present as a gift to the king of Saudi Arabia for whom he played um, a secret game back in the 90s. I was watching basketball around that time. So mm-hmm. anything they talked about in basketball around that time felt very, very genuine. Now, did Michael Jordan play for this? I don't know. We're going to ask Seth Harwood that. I don't know if there are actual rumors about that. But like players that were named and things that were going on in the NBA at that time all felt very genuine. What happens is Jack is paid to bring this guy back. So he wants to do that. But he starts, much like Robin myself, to get sucked in to the world of sneakerheads. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Like, So as a kid... And this is another, you know, like, I I feel like this is Seth Harwood injecting himself. Like, as a kid, he, like, owned some shoes, and he was kind of uh, envious of, like, you know, the the really expensive shoes and stuff. And here he is presented with the fact that there might be this mythical pair of shoes. And he kind of just wants to, like, get a look at them. But he totally gets sucked into the the SNED, short for sneakerhead, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, lifestyle, I guess. Yeah, and so we're probably towing the line of of 
spoilers. I don't know if we're going to do spoiler talk or not, but um, from here it becomes all about who has the Maltese Jordans, which um, it's not the only name. Depending on who they're talking to throughout the book, there's other kind of nicknames for it, like the, what is it called? The Saudi set was one yep. name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's like four or five different things that they go by. But um, for the for the sake of the book and the thing they're most commonly referred to is, is the Maltese Jordans. So it's it's who's got it, who's got who's doing what with them and, and what's the plan and what are they worth and like digging deeper into the mythology of these shoes and everybody kind of having the dollar signs in their eyes a little bit, but still somehow being in awe of this like profoundly rare pair of sneakers that, you know, only existed in myth up, up until this point. Right. So to, to recap a little bit, um, we have Modi who's on the run and wanted by several different groups of people. On top of that, he claims to have access to these shoes that now become wanted by another set of people. So there is that little bit of, um, I don't know, like there's always like those types of movies and, like and books, I guess. But yeah, where there's <laughs> a bunch of people all looking for the same thing. And yep. that happens in this book but in kind of two different ways so there's the group of people who are looking for modi who are jack palms who's supposed to bring him in another bounty hunter who has called in because jack's not doing the job quickly enough uh, a group of hawaiian guys that modi owes money to and the mob because that's who he embezzled yep and through the course of this a bunch of people are also trying to get the shoes which are some of the same people and some different people you know what i mean so it's it's um it's not as chaotic as I'm expressing it, um, but it's uh, it's intricate enough that you have a good story, but not to the point where it's hard to follow or or anything like that. Yeah, totally. So can uh, uh, before I forget, and I don't know if you'll pick this up, but I have to give Seth credit for. Um, so there's, I think the book is in four parts, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, and at the I beginning of right. each part there is a quote. And it's a sneaker-based quote. Uh, the first quote of the first part is from a song that I recognize. And the quote is, I'll kill you if you try me for my Air Max 95s. Is that quote familiar to you, Livius? Not even a little bit. Uh, that is a song called, I think it's called Hate It or Love It by The Game, who was a rapper that came up. Uh, so after 50 Cent became popular, mm-hmm. uh he introduced a whole bunch of people onto the scene. So basically like Dr. Dre, uh, uh, broke Eminem into the scene. Eminem broke 50 cent into the scene. 50 cent brought on a bunch of people, including the game and the game. One of the game songs was hate it or love it. Um, which he sings with a bunch of people, including 50 cent. And one of the lines in there is I'll kill you. If you try me for my air max 95s. Well, there you go. Yeah. I had no idea about, essentially anything you just <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. Like, I but, didn't know that Dr. Dre broke Eminem. Like yeah. I know Dre from, from back in the NWA days, you yeah, know what I mean? Like, but he signed Eminem. He brought him on. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. And then Eminem is the one who signed 50 cent and then on and on. So it's like, I mean, if you think about just those three people and how much, how significant a role they played in like, Oh, the, for sure late nineties to early two thousands rap scene. That was everything. So, um, anyway, that's, that's kind of an aspect of Seth, uh, as well is his love of, of like rap and hip hop and stuff like that. For me, it was a little charming that he was throwing out lyrics by the game at the beginning of his book. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I know story wise, it's tough because, I don't want to reveal a whole lot about any of this. So I think we might be essentially done talking about story. <laughs> um, what I do want to say, and this is what I was kind of alluding to earlier, not only is Jack Palms a super interesting character in his, um, the fact that he's recognizable as a, as an actor, but nobody knows what he's doing now. Like everybody just sees him and, and assumes that he's there. For example, when he's in Hawaii, they're like, Oh, are you here shooting for a movie? You know, he's at another place. They're like, oh, are you the talent? You know, like like yeah. the, you know, like celebrities at like a convention or whatever. So, um, you know, so nobody knows that he's a bounty hunter. 
which is interesting. But the thing I liked is, I don't know how to say this because I, I, I'm afraid this is going to sound, no matter how I say it, like I'm taking a shot at, at the, the storytelling. But we have a bounty hunter who, I'll, I'll contrast this to the last book that we reviewed, which was also about detectives, right? The nice guys? Yeah. There was a lot of mortal danger in nice guys, or at least we were led to believe, you know, there was uh, the one character was, you know, fell off a building. I mean, a variety of things happen, right? I didn't feel like in this book that it took itself that seriously. Like, even though, like, you know, on the rare occasion, like a gun pops up, I don't feel like Jack ever felt like he was in danger. And an interesting thing that happened is like this. There's a conflict between myself and Rob. And there's like a like like we, we get into a fist fight because we're on opposite sides of the thing. But at the end, we wind up basically kind of collaborating or working together. It's like once you get past that, you have like perfectly reasonable people. So there's yeah. no one in this book that's like constantly trying to murder Jack or Modi or whatever. And I felt like it was just a. A, a probably more realistic than than the immediacy to kill anybody who who stands in your way, which is what you see in a lot of books. Um, but I also think it made it more fun to see these people who are at odds with one another, even if it's not that they're working together, that they're able to carry on a conversation, mm-hmm. um, which, like I said, it's not I don't know. It just it felt it felt a little lighter than other. And I know it's not supposed to be a detective book or whatever, but essentially we'll call it that. It just felt like it had a lighter touch to it, which was kind of refreshing. I I can't tell you how happy I am that you brought this up, because if you didn't, I was about to. And that was one of the. If you ask me, the best parts of the storytelling slash narrative things of this book was how real it was. And like, if let's jump back in time, four hundred thirty-two episodes to our review of the Mozart Conspiracy by Scott Mariani, where the motherfuckers like <laughs> jumping out of helicopters and yeah. there's like explosives yep. everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was so over the top, and I was like, it was fucking like ridiculous. And it so took away from the story. And it's not to say that there's not action in this book. I think that there's regular beats of action throughout the book. There's fighting and there's, you know, like chases and things like that. Those things happen, but in a way that like Livius and I would, would do it if we were a little more skilled with the fighting, you know what I'm saying? Like much more of an average person, not some weird superhero um, that you see in action movies these days. So the action was refreshing in as much as it was down to earth. And yeah, yeah, there wasn't shooting all the time and breaking people's necks and like stuffing someone in a closet and stuff like that. It was just, I fought as much as I needed to, to get what I needed. And then I moved on. And like you were saying, uh, <laughs> like Modi teams up with some people borrow some money from people from, from some people. And then there's like conflict that comes from that. And, uh, so throughout the book, like Livius was saying, sometimes there's confrontations between these people, but when that kind of action resolves itself, then it's just back to like, you know, deep down, they generally like each other. They just Mm -hmm. don't, you know, they're just trying to get over on each other, like for, for selfish reasons or whatever, but it comes back to more or less camaraderie. Uh, and that's great. Cause you don't really see that. Like it has to be like the good guy versus the bad guy. Not, and this is more, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this people with conflicting interests, which is so real. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, but delivered in a way that nobody is trying to like murder somebody through the whole right. book. Yeah. It's not like, <laughs> Oh, you betrayed <laughs> me. Now I have to kill you. It's like, <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait, <laughs> I owe you money and your mom's hitting me with her shoes kind of thing. Like, yep. Very, it's just yeah. so real. And so just, and in a way where it could be, this could be a TV, like a, a network television series. Sure. For sure. Absolutely. Cause it doesn't I, yeah, throw like murder and, and gore in your face at all. 
Nope. No, no, no. And, and that's that's like I said, it's when I started, you know, because I listened to the first few chapters when we had Seth on last year. Mm hmm. And I thought this is going to turn this is going to be someone's going to get killed and there's going to be constant gun. like that's the feeling I had about the book. Like you said, I think there there might even be I don't even know if it's a chase scene, but it's kind of like <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like the white Bronco chase scene. If it, you know, more right. than the like, like if you were filming this as a movie, it would probably be a very boring chase scene. It wasn't boring to like read it, but it wouldn't be like this high action kind of, you know, like they're driving across sand, like yeah. not very fast. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. So yep. I found that to be um, super, super refreshing. And I'm curious as to if this is a overall like the Jack Palms books kind of have that same feel or if this is a step away from his previous right. Jack Palms books. So <laughs> that's a question we'll probably be asking next week. Yeah, but absolutely one of the most like refreshing parts of of the way that the story is told is just the everyman approach that he takes to to the all the characters until the end right <laughs> so we can't talk about the end but i do want to say that the end was very very rewarding like the story got tied up in a way that um i i like i really appreciated um because in any book like this right so you have to ask yourself the whole time right so are these are these mythical sneakers real if they're real who's going to end up with them what's going to happen to them yep yeah you know are they going to be lost forever in a fire are they going to be you know whatever like you, you have these thoughts and my mind did not go in any way shape or form to how this situation gets resolved but when yeah. it was resolved i was like this is done perfectly perfectly <laughs> like a perfect uh, yeah. resolution and I don't often feel that there's a perfect resolution in books sometimes. And we've talked about a show where I was like, that shit ended weak. Like cop out endings is one of my one of my biggest pet peeves. And there are books that I have read that I've really, really liked. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, I just wish you would have finished stronger. Like this one finishes strong, but it, like in a really good way. Yep. I fully agree. So, yep. Um, you do spoiler talk. I'd love to do spoiler talk. Right. Spoiler talk is available for our Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash booked. It's where Rob and I go to discuss the ending of the Maltese Jordans and anything else in the book that we didn't want to spoil. We do this not just for this book. We do it for a number of books. So if you're not contributing, $1 a month gets you access to spoiler talk and our gratitude, which is really invaluable. Like spoiler talk is cool, but our gratitude is really where the value is in your dollar per month. So if you're not um, contributing, please do so. Take a moment to do it now. We'll wait. All right. We are back from spoiler talk. It was a short spoiler talk, but we talked about some very important, very spoilery things. So if you have not already chosen to contribute a dollar or more a month to our Patreon, patreon.com slash booked, uh, throw in that dollar a month and you get access to all of the spoiler talk, which by now has to be creeping up on the triple digits. We've been doing that for quite a while now. There's no way. Really? All right. I'm, I don't know. I just want to make sure. All right. Good. Okay. There's got to right. be, it's got to be close to 50. So Rob, you're a little more familiar with this. What is the availability of this book right now? So the book is out now and here's, this is one of the things where uh, typically we just say, go pick it up on Amazon, blah, blah, blah. But Seth is doing this really cool thing. So you can get the ebook on Amazon easy. If that's what you want to do. If you want to get a print copy, um, he is selling them through his website, sethharwood.com. Uh, you can order, you know, one book, you can order multiple copies. You can also order signed copies and he gives you the option to leave instructions about how you want it signed, which I think is cool because like if, uh, you don't live in Western or central Massachusetts or whatever he said he lives, how are you going to get a signed copy of this book? Right? So you go to his website and you pay like the regular price for a book and you just tell him how you'd like it to be personalized and he sends it off to you. So I think that's a unique thing that we don't see authors doing much, but I think it's really cool. I mean, I'm not really done talking about the book, but to touch on that, it really feels like Seth is um, pretty close and always open and available to talking to his fans, which is something that I've always respected about him. And I'm not saying that other people aren't. They all have a Facebook presence. I'm sure they respond to posts and whatnot, but it really feels like he puts some effort into being close to his audience. So through the, you know, for lack of a better term, I'll call them podcasts that he does on Patreon, um, through the fact of his um, releasing his books digitally to his fans. I know that way back when, I think that one of the first Jack Palms books, 
was released as an audiobook, I think for free, if I remember yes. correctly. So it seems like he Seriously. does a lot to to contribute to give back to his um to his listeners, which is really or his readers, I guess, and listeners, which but really, really cool. Yeah. Um I'm I think I'm giving I'm not giving a ton of money on his Patreon per month. I want to say it's like three dollars a month. And what I get out of that is he does uh he's so he's serializing Maltese Jordans, but he's also releasing chapters of like audiobook chapters of his other novels. And he does these office hours thing where he basically just like talks about what he's up to and the craft and all that kind of stuff. And this is a guy. So a guy talking about the craft who also for his day job teaches uh, online creative writing for Harvard and Stanford. Like you can pay a couple bucks and get advice from someone who like teaches at Ivy league schools, which I think is, is a great value. Agreed. So I don't have a ton I'll say about the book. I would like to thank Seth for the shout out on page nine to um, Renaissance, my former employer. <laughs> I saw that. Oh man, I forgot to mention that. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. I uh, for those of, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, I worked for Renaissance for a period of time. I believe that period of time was seven years. Um, one day we'll do a podcast where I just reminisce and tell stories about working at Renaissance. Uh, if you want to talk about an interesting <laughs> business to be in, um. That's the one. You just gave me a great idea. We do a Patreon level where we just basically podcast talking about our everyday lives. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Nowadays, my everyday yeah. life is boring. At Renaissance, though, there was a there was a there was a lot of there was a lot of very interesting stuff. I'll put it to you this way: it's only interesting in retrospect. Yeah. Like I really hated my life then and the people I had to deal with and the situations I got into. But God damn it, it makes for great stories after the fact. Yeah, yeah. We should probably uh, throw some stars on this book. You want to you wanna go ahead and do that first? Yep. All right, so I've always uh, been a big fan of Seth. We had him, uh, I think I mentioned it, we had him, a story of his in the book anthology called To the Bone, which is far more violent and and gruesome than what the Jack Palms book is. So I, I, I always had him kind of pegged as this guy who does really gritty, violent, like crime fiction. So the Jack Palms book being uh, on the lighter side, as far as a detective novel um, was a little different, but so well written that I just fell right into it. It was so easy to read. It clocks in around just over 300 pages, according to Amazon. But man, it reads fast and it reads easy and it's entertaining the whole way. Um, his take on a detective novel is very refreshing because um, it's just uh, it's much more down to earth, like we mentioned earlier when we were talking about the book. And so uh, it's just so accessible and the, it was it was very nice. His information that he shares about the world of, of SNEDs is as far as I'm aware, very accurate as well. I have uh, a sneakerhead that I work with and we are talking a little bit about this book and he was listening to our conversation with um, Seth last year. And he said to me, the guy that I work with that it's obvious that Seth is someone who's not just trying to talk about this um, phenomenon. He's actually in, in it and he knows what he's talking about. So if you're a sneakerhead, and you and you pick this up because it's a book called The Maltese Jordans, and you're wondering, or or you're listening to this because of that, and you're wondering, is this really going to sound authentic? Uh, I would say it, it probably will. And um, so I don't know. I just like everything about this book, and um, the whole the way that he weaves the story of the Maltese Jordans in, not only with like the sneakerhead community, but also with like the scandals and goings on of of sports in the mid '90s, which um, also tracks very truthfully with like with like the histor history of of that time, um, it just all works very well. The ending was great. Livius might say something about the ending. I think the ending was great, and it was very tight and very clean and just very satisfying. So I really can't find much to pick at this book about. And so yeah, five stars. Um, last week I had, and I did write this down. So I'm kind of going from memory. I'd said there's like three levels of detective novel. 
So there was like the hard boiled crime novels. Um, then you had something like the nice guys, which we reviewed, which was like light and a little silly, a lot of good dialogue, like buddy cop humor. Um, and then you had like the adventures of Ford Fairlane, like in, in the level of the absurd. Right. So Seth, um, has now shown me there's a level in between like the hard boiled detective novels and that, like the nice guys, like a nice, serious, but light detective novel. And uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, I, I didn't know. I mean, even having heard the first few chapters, I didn't know where this was going to go. As I mentioned before, no idea where it was going to end up. Um, but super, super satisfying for the ending. One of the one of the best, like buttoned up, like I have. I, it left me wanting nothing more endings um, that I've read in a while. Quite honestly, um, the characters are interesting enough. Um, to keep you engaged with them, but they're not like he doesn't overcomplicate and try to make them super deep. We didn't get a million backstories about everyone's motivation and everything like we got just enough to be really interested in the characters. And I think that Seth did a really great job with this book. Um, this is the fifth Jack Palms book. Uh, the other four are available on Kindle, I believe, all for two ninety nine. I hate myself for doing this because I have zero time to read like on my own, but I Jack wakes up is, uh, is going to be added to my list of books that I, I want to read. Cause I really want to see where Jack Palm started and then who knows, perhaps go through the other ones. Um, I'm really glad we took this one on and yeah, I'm with Rob. This is a super enjoyable read five stars. Excellent. Um, I, I kind of want to jump back to talking about Seth selling books on his website. And it's, this is not me trying to get him to, to sell copies of anything by any means, but uh, what I said about this book being available for sale goes for his other books as well. He just had, I think he had all of his Jack Palms book reissued with like new covers and they're all themed together. So like the covers are similar and everything. Um, and he's selling them all. So like, just go to sethharwood.com and check it out. If you're interested in those books, um, Buy him straight from the author. I'm sure he's going to get the most money that way anyway. So why not do that? Yeah, if you want the paper book, I would say um, definitely pick the um, the right route and go to the author and skip the convenience of Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What else we got going on in this world? We have nothing going on. Hmm. I did not know, and I sent Rob a message the other day, that Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock was being made into a movie. And of course, Rob responds with, yeah, I saw this like weeks ago and <laughs> I get real excited. So, yeah. I see something I think Rob's gonna be excited about. Like I send him a, a link right away. Today I sent him a link right to season two of the house, uh, the haunting of Hill house. <clears throat> and uh, Rob's like, yeah, I saw that weeks ago. Thanks, Rob. So, all right. So you're, you brought that up. Not so much to talk about the fact that the book that we reviewed is being turned into a Netflix movie as much as to say that you care more about me than I care about you. Clearly. All right. <laughs> On Noted. both counts. Clearly I brought it up for that way. And clearly that's the case. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I think that I'm just going to blame it on the fact that I see all this stuff really late at night and I know you're sleeping. So that's my cop out. That's creepy too. Uh, <laughs> well, the webcam shows me that you're sleeping. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I better stock up on post-it notes. Uh, so we reviewed uh the devil all the time man in the first like probably 70 episodes of the podcast maybe even in the first Sounds 40 right. um and we liked it a lot you had read knock em stiff which was correct uh the earlier which one was the collection it was a short story collection knock em stiff was a short story collection the thing that the sad thing is that uh Pollock came out with another book like a year and a half ago Heavenly Table, I think it's called, and we didn't get a chance to read it, so that was like kind of a bummer. I own the book, we just never got to read it, but man, awesome dude, and um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with, like, I feel like right now is the perfect time for books to be made into movies. It's just like, there's there's just a, a movement of it right now, and like, it's great to see all these books that we cared about and, and, and gave attention to back then getting getting adapted into films. Sucks because it takes a long time, apparently. Yeah. Like, like these books are all from, you know, so we read um, Devil All the Time. Uh, it would have been, what, seven years ago, right? 2013, maybe? 
2012 september of 2011 oh my god jesus yeah so there you go it was episode um, 40 yeah bird box you know how long did it take us to 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 see bird box you know as, yeah. as a movie so um uh, you know um it, it just it takes a long time so ultimately i say this all the time but as an author you write a book you actually get published with a publisher so then you got to wait 18 months to two years to do that then if the book is okay it takes another three or four years to make a movie so it's like the rest of us don't really have and i'm sure there are some exceptions where the work that we do today we're like hanging on and waiting for something to happen with it six years from now right but as a writer or if you're an aspiring writer just remember that <laughs> remember yeah. that your baby that you finally put down you got really excited about you sold It'll be two years before anybody reads it, and then probably another three or four before anybody makes it into a movie. Um, but the nice thing is, I guess it keeps paying that way, right? So a movie comes out and yeah. you sell more books. Josh Mallerman wound up on the New York Times bestseller list in the top ten, I believe. Yeah, for like um, f- at least four or five weeks. Yeah, after Bird Box came out, something yep. that did not happen, unfortunately and unfairly, when the book first came out, because it was every bit as good of a book then as it was after it was a movie. Yep. Um, but yeah, kudos to Donald Ray Pollock. I'm looking forward to that. Frank Bill's um, movie coming out, book slash movie coming out um, shortly. So um, lots of good stuff coming up from a movie standpoint. Yeah, and the thing that I was thinking of when you were talking about that is like when we read and talked about this book seven and a half years ago. Did I do the math right on that? Yeah. Ish. Almost seven and a half, yeah. It's not like part of the conversation was, oh, it'll be great when we see that movie nine years from now. <laughs> like, we never even no. like, occurred to us. No. So, like, uh, now that we've been doing the podcast so long, it seems like that's going to be a common occurrence where it's like this thing that we had something to say about half a decade ago or more is now back in our lives in a, in a new, like, incarnation. And then we have to, like, tackle the fact that it exists now this different way it's kind of an exciting time for the podcast because it's happening very frequently and -hmm. i get the feeling that it's just going to keep happening oh for sure i mean we know a few of the properties have been bought some of them are already in development um i mean you know i hate to say it but there's always that possibility last projector 2024 oh man i'm fingers crossed for that like and especially if david james keaton has something to do with the production of the film <laughs> There's no way any sane producer oh, yeah. is letting him anywhere <laughs> fucking near anything like that. And now that I said that, it would have to be like one of those re- really weird guys. And I can't think of the names. Was it like, um, um, oh, what's that weirdo's name that did Antichrist? And he does like all oh, the Lars weird. Von Trier. Yeah, it would have to be like that guy would have <laughs> no one else. No one else would look at that thing and be like, I'm going like, to be the one that adapts yeah. it into a movie. Yeah, weird art house shit. Yeah. So, but yeah, you're right. It it is it is fun and interesting for us to yeah. um to to see these things come to fruition. And of course, I mean, some of these people, as a matter of fact, the ones we've just mentioned, have all been guests on this podcast and people that we consider friends. So it's yeah. not just exciting because we read this book and now it's a movie. I've been doing that my whole life. Um, these are people that I've gotten to know and or talk to about their work and hopefully we'll talk to again about the stuff they're doing. So it's even even cooler to see somebody that, you know, we consider a friend, yeah. um, you know, gain that kind of notoriety or success again, even if it's stupid and unfair the way it is a Josh Mallerman situation where that's the measure of success. But I'm still really excited for all of them. Yeah. And not to put too fine a point on it, but uh, I feel like when we so like. There, there's the uh, there's two approaches to like a situation. We'll just use Bird Box as an example. Um, there's the approach where it's like um, I'm going to get attention for myself by talking about how I knew this person who is now blowing up for some reason. And then there's the way there's the I just want to talk about the fact that my friend got a really cool thing that happened in his life. Yep. And if you ever are listening to this and are thinking that we're the first people that's never the case never the case we're genuinely happy for josh and the things that are happening with bird box it's it has nothing to do with the fact that we talk like we don't you know it, we're not saying hey we're awesome because we knew him first we're just happy for our dude yep 
And we picked a winner. That's the other yeah. thing too. I mean, like uh, we yeah. like if when we really loved a book like that, it then, validates you know, our taste sure. a little for sure. bit. But Absolutely. that's like a personal thing. Absolutely. More than, yeah, yeah. We've always known um, that we've got good taste, though. So like, yeah. this is just so you guys also know. Speaking of Josh Mallerman, we're getting closer and closer to StokerCon, where we plan, hopefully, on have. I mean, I, I'm hoping we can have Josh on sooner to talk about his new book, Inspection. Um, but I also expect that we'll spend a little bit of time with him at uh, StokerCon coming up in three months. Three months from now. Less than three months from <sighs> yeah. now. Two and a half months from now. Yep. That's coming up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, is I think John F.D. Taff said he would be there. So it would be yep, uh, sure. cool to, to spend some time with him in person. Meet some other people. Who am I supposed to get uh, an interview with? Dude, you're so bad at this, you don't even know. Is it McCammon? Like, yeah, Robert R. Right. McCammon. There we go. I'll get that. I'll make it happen. Um, yeah, so <laughs> McCammon, I was reading. I remembered the other day I was thinking about StokerCon and, and Robert McCammon. And I will tell you, and, and maybe this happens a lot to people, but I vividly remember um, so very briefly for a number of months when I was a senior in high school, I, uh, part-time cleaned a hair salon, like an hour or two a night. Like that was, mm-hmm. that was my gig. And, uh, I was there and yeah, I don't remember what the situation was, but it was something like, well, I was just going to hang out there cause I had to go somewhere else after, but it was like too early to go. And I was reading Wolf's Hour by Robert McCammon. And next thing you know, like I'd spent like two hours sitting in a hairstylist chair just reading this book. (laughs) Now, I'm telling you, this is when I was probably like 18, maybe 17, 18, 19 on the outside. I I don't remember exactly what age, but like that's 25 plus years ago that I'm remembering where I was sitting when I read this book. So I've been a huge fan of of McCammon for that long. (laughs) So, um for anybody who's not familiar, he's probably best known for Swan Song. Whenever anybody talks about post-apocalyptic good versus evil books, um, the two that always come up are The Stand and Swan Song. Personally, I like Swan Song better, um, although I really like The Stand, too. So I'm not trying to shit talk Stephen King and his <laughs> epic masterpiece, but yeah. uh, Swan Song edged it out for me. So I'm super excited to, to hopefully get a chance to uh, spend a little bit of time talking to Robert McCammon. Fingers crossed. That would be very cool. Um, so yeah, that's what's coming up. We're probably gonna be talking to Seth in the next episode. Uh, more books to come. We got that uh, inspection book by Mallerman coming up. Um, there's a handful of things coming up in the next few months that are pretty exciting. Indeed. Um, but next week, Seth Harwood. That's what we're excited about currently. And until then, I'm Livia Studden. And I'm Rebels. And keep reading. <laughs>